Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to episode 98 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about all things sleeping. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational and let the marathon running podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond hey runners and welcome to episode 98 we're ryan and letty and we do our weekly episode on all things running ranging from training advice to nutrition advice by bringing you the experts and today we are going to talk about sleeping advice Hi, Letty. Didn't we already talk about sleeping? We did. We were recording it because I accidentally deleted it. The whole thing? The whole thing. So here we are again. <laughs> oh, man. And this is a futuristic podcast once again, because at the time of this airing, I will be in uh, well, in an airplane. Going where? Coming back from Paris. To do what? The marathon. Can you believe it? It's another finally marathon. here. Another marathon. Another uh I don't know. Another day, another marathon? Exactly. So yeah, so we're pre-recording this. Should we guess at your time again? My time to finish the marathon? Yes. Not uh, your time to fall asleep tonight. <laughs> uh, yeah, we can do that. So what's your guess? What's your educated guess after having seen me slave away? Not so much. Honestly, I don't have a good educated guess. I could say 3.15. What's realistically your time... Sub not not a not a cushion like realistically. Sub three twenty is something that could realistically happen if everything goes well. Okay, so I was gonna say three fifteen, but I'll give you the five. So okay, how about we do instead under three twenty, you win. Over three twenty, I win. Okay, that's motivating for you. Yeah. Okay. So what do I get? I don't know. <laughs> Come up with something cool. I'll have to think about that. Okay, and what do you want if I run slower than 320? Ooh, you'll have to come foiling with me or at least winging with me. For people that don't know, it's like windsurfing or sailing. Well, that's not a punishment. It kind of is for you because I can't get you to go. You can't get me to go because I'm always either working or running or hanging out with the kids. Or it's too cold or it's too windy or it's... Okay, okay. So that's that's your... um, punishment if you lose or I guess not punishment but that's your that's my my reward if I win okay well mine's not gonna be that simple I'm gonna request something of a, a little bit more value okay um another marathon getaway but this time I kind of want to bring you I'm yeah pre- I don't mind going it just depends on you know mostly it's related to the kids okay so if I run sub 320 then you are gonna go with me to the Chicago Marathon 
and the New York Marathon if I get into that That's crazy true. lottery. If you if you go sub 20, then I'll give you Chicago. If you go sub 315, then maybe New York. Oh, man. That's not going to happen. That's better motivation. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Whatever. So anyway, so what is the topic today, Ryan, as you remember? It's your favorite topic. Sleeping. Almost. I don't really love sleeping. I just, you say it's my you favorite do topic. do a lot of it. <laughs> I don't do a lot of it. I do frequent naps. Yes. Accidental and non-accidental. <laughs> that's, that's accurate. So for everyone that knows me, I don't sleep more than six hours at a time, but I do nap when Ryan is driving in the car because it's very convenient. <laughs> and you're good. You're good at it because like anytime I drive... Literally <laughs> more than 10 minutes and you're already napping. I can't help it. I'm just German and very efficient. Let's put it that way. That's what you keep saying. But I, I, I would have to say, you know, people can like hear this and think, oh, yeah, you know, it's fun to nap in the car. But I mean, honestly, I think it's it's got to be like higher than 90% of the time. <laughs> well, it's really high. If it's more than 20 minutes driving. Yes. I would even say maybe 10, maybe 20. No, 20. And there's nowhere really in 10 minutes that we can get to. You're right. You do have, what is it, a 12-minute nap? Don't you say it is? 12-minute nap. Yeah. Okay, so 20 minutes. Yeah. You're right. And that's actually a good way of recharging. And um, so... If only everyone could do that. If any... (laughs) Yeah, well, there's certain things you can do that. And I'm glad you mentioned that. That's actually one of the questions that I asked our guest today. Our guest today is Dr. Amy Bender. And she studies sleep and the relationship between sleep and sports. And so we talked to her about why sleep is so important. So, and a bunch of questions came up, you know, anything from how much sleep do we get? Do runners need more sleep? How much sleep do you really need? And then sleep quality, the watches, um, uninterrupted sleep, interrupted sleep, screens before bed, things you can do to fall asleep more easily. I asked her about Tylenol PM and melatonin. And I asked her about the... Tylenol PM, that's like for if you're sick. Well, some people use it as a sleeping aid, I think. Do they? I don't know. Don't they? I, I mean, I guess there's, there's more... It's supposed to be if you're sick, I think. Oh, well, whatever drugs anyway, they have. <laughs> and then last... Ambient but, maybe or something like that, but Tylenol PM is like... I don't know. Well, I asked her that. Um, maybe she, I'm wrong. I don't she know. probably knew what I meant. And then I asked her about the night before a race, um, how bad a bad night of sleep can really affect us if it's just, you know, one before and all that fun stuff. So, uh, you know, you always have a hard time going to sleep. So there's a little, a few good pieces of advice for people like you that can't fall asleep easily. Yeah, I'll be interested to hear. I mean, I've tried a lot of, you know, other things and it's just, it is just difficult for me. What do you try? (laughs) Let's put it out there, right? Yeah, I see. You know, like in terms of like, like reading before bed or doing less, like doing less um, screen time or or things like that, and trying to relax. It's just sometimes it's really it's just difficult. I think to me the best thing is exercise. For me, for you, yeah. For some people, it doesn't work because it gets them amped up. And you know, I always have a hard time falling asleep. And you know that right after a marathon. And that's probably the only time that I can't go to sleep is I've run a marathon and then I'm, you know, having dinner and I'm out and then I get home and then it's like 10 p.m. 
1 a.m. and I just can't go to sleep after that marathon. It's really hard for me. Yeah, let me clarify. Exercise the day of. I sleep better that night, not exercise like right before bed. <laughs> oh, just, <but> yeah. <laughs> I thought you meant that, but yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm sure it has something to do with it. But anyway, are you ready to uh, listen to this amazing episode? Yes. All right. So without any further ado, we are now going to play our interview with Amy Bender. All right. So I'm here with Dr. Amy Bender. Amy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. So for the people that don't know you in the running world, could you just briefly tell us who you are and what you do for a living? Sure. So I'm uh, currently director of clinical sleep science at Cerebra, which is a sleep technology company. Um, so I help uh, run the research department and kind of our main goal is to help people sleep better, whether that, whether that be through better diagnosis or better treatment plans. Um, but I also work with a number of athletes uh, optimizing their sleep. So I work with some professional teams, Olympic athletes, uh, to try and optimize their sleep for better performance. Which is perfect because obviously we are a running podcast and we have a lot of questions for you. So I want to start with the very, very basic question. Why is sleep so important? And obviously in order to answer that question, we have to ask the smaller questions. So to an athlete, when you ran a nice long run or when you did a workout, what happens to you or to your body at nighttime? Why is it that sleep is so important for us? Mm -hmm. I think kind of the basic answer is to help uh, recover from the physical and mental demands of the sport is kind of that high level answer as to what sleep is doing. Um, we have muscles being repaired, tissues being regenerated during sleep. So there's certain hormone functions going on. So growth hormone, testosterone is released primarily during sleep. Um, and we also have just, you know, as I said, muscles being repaired as well, um, muscle soreness, that kind of thing. And we have clearance of cerebrospinal fluid. So when we sleep, our neurons in the brain shrink in order to allow uh, cerebrospinal fluid to flow through and clear out a lot of those toxins that are occurring during the day. Um, so that's kind of another recently, uh, function that was discovered. Um, and yeah, so, so I would say when it comes to a runner in, in a lot of the research that has been done, and there hasn't been a lot to be honest, um, a lot of what we see with sleep is related to, um, you know, not feeling as tired, like cognitively with good sleep. And so runners are able to run further because the effort um, isn't as high. It, it doesn't take as much effort when you're fully rested as you are when you were sleep depriving you. Know, you perceive that effort to be a lot more grueling and challenging when you're sleep deprived. So I would say that's kind of what we're discovering when we look at sleep optimization for runners specifically is it's not necessarily related to the muscles functioning better, but it's more related to the cognitive enhancements that sleep and sleep optimization can provide. 
Perfect. Yeah, you kind of answered my my next question about active people needing more sleep than uh, regular people that exercise a lot less than people training for a marathon. So you're basically saying that if you are working hard, it's probably more of a cognizant repair, but then also obviously your muscles need to rest to be able to regenerate all the damaged fibers that we cause through um, when we run hard. Yeah, absolutely. Both of those, both of those functions are important. Um, we do think that athletes need more sleep than the general population. And that also applies to if your training load is higher, you're going to need more sleep to recover from that demand. And, uh, I actually did an Ironman in 2009. And after the event, I slept for 10 hours for a week straight, just recovering from that event. So I've seen it in myself. Um, and we do think that the higher the training load, the more sleep that you need to recover from that training load. Um, there, just to throw out a little a wrench and things, I guess um, there have been some studies actually looking at animal models where they see that uh, if the rodent is running on, uh, you know, their wheel, that they're actually finding that kind of some of their synchronization in brainwaves doing this monotonous activity that those animals don't actually need as much sleep as um, other animals. So that is kind of an interesting wrinkle. And I wonder we, what we do see in athletes across the board is that triathletes in particular are not getting, they're, they're actually the worst uh, sleepers when it comes to duration, which is very, very interesting. I mean, it could have to do with timing and how much training takes up, but I'm also in the back of my mind wondering if there's an element of like monotonous activity and if that could be kind of fulfilling some of this sleep need. But for now, I would say the answer is, you know, if you have a high training load, you do want to be getting more sleep. Yeah. Oh, that's super interesting. Yeah. I mean, maybe it has something to do with your body getting used to a certain amount of exercise and then your baseline could be higher. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, um, what, what could be causing that. And of course, you know, these are in, in rodent models. So we'll need to replicate <laughs> that in humans. Yeah. I wonder if you have any volunteers for that. And so, <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about sweet sleep quality, because from our watches, all the garments that we have, we see that there's different stages. So maybe you can uh, demystify that a little bit. We see all the different stages and we don't know which one we need to get more of. And does it really matter? And can it really be measured that well? Yeah. Um, so to be honest, I have a Garmin Forerunner um, and I take it off when I go to sleep because <laughs> if you want my true honest opinion, the Garmin is actually one of the worst when it comes to gauging sleep. So there's certain devices that may be better than others. Um, I do think devices in general are good for increasing awareness about sleep and actually looking at your data across time. So, um, you know, we wouldn't want to just 
throw all our eggs into this one day of data. But if we're looking at it across time, I think some patterns can develop. And then I think even, even the Garmin might be useful in that instance. Um, or to see, for example, are there patterns as it relates to alcohol seems to really impact my sleep quality when I'm drinking before bedtime, for example, versus when I'm not drinking at all. So I think, I think they are useful. Um, the research does show though, that they aren't very good at uh, capturing the different stages of sleep. So they aren't very accurate when it comes to these different stages. And so a lot of times we'll see, um, typically they'll do light stages of sleep, which is more, um, if you were to do an EEG, it would be more like uh, stage one, stage two, and then the wearables will also calculate deep sleep. So, which is usually stage three when it comes to kind of an official sleep study. And then it'll also look at REM sleep as well. So usually with the wearable, you'll get light, deep and REM. Um, but again, the accuracy of those right now is just a lot to be desired, I would say. Although, um, you know, they, they are getting better at capturing these different stages and there's new algorithms coming out. So, for example, I think the Aura Ring has a new update to their algorithm, which hasn't quite come out yet, but will be pretty accurate, actually, when it's compared to the different sleep stages. But I would argue that... Um, even if we were to get the most accurate picture of sleep stages, we have a hard time associating those sleep stages with clinical outcomes. So a lot of times in the research, you know, we won't see much of a correlation between like a lot of deep sleep and how you feel or um, how you're performing. And so there's a bit of a disconnect between the sleep stages when it, and then as it relates to your daytime functioning. Um, and that's why I'm really excited about our technology that we're developing. And so we're looking at a different metric for sleep quality using odds ratio product, which is taking into consideration brainwave activity and is micro analyzing the EEG, that brainwave activity in order to give us a really good measure of sleep quality. Um, and so Full disclosure, you know, we are working on a wearable that we want to develop down the road. We're, we're a ways out from that, but I think that there are better measures out there than um, sleep stages per se. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes complete sense. Obviously the Garmin is the one thing that basically measures everything we do and it's just practical to have it. And, and like you said, it's probably good to have it just to have an idea and to create awareness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think we should throw them away or not use them at all. I think they can be useful in certain instances, but in reality, like maybe even just how you feel about how you slept is, is maybe as good of a measure as looking at that objective uh, data. So that that's another idea for people is to kind of rate your, how you feel about your sleep, your sleep quality, and then start to associate, associate that with different, um, lifestyle factors that have occurred throughout the day. Yeah, that's, that's probably a better idea. <laughs> and along with that, for those of us that have time for little naps, are naps good for you? And then also, is there a difference? Because you know, when you sometimes take a very short nap and you wake up and you feel recharged, 
And then if you nap for an hour and you wake up and you're completely disoriented and almost kind of cranky, can you maybe explain that a little bit? Yes. Uh, I, I really love naps. And I think athletes, I think even the everyday person should be incorporating naps into their schedule, especially athletes. And I think athletes should be just like you plan out your training schedules. Let's also put in a nap a few times per week to help in that situation and to help, um, kind of lead to more sleep across the week by incorporating some of these naps. Uh, We know naps help with better alertness. They help with your mood. They help with your performance. um, And pretty much across the board, naps show benefits for an athlete and for performance and productivity and even non-athletes. But yeah, you're right. There's different lengths of naps. So for example, more of that less than 30 minute nap is where we're not getting into the deepest stages of sleep, that stage three. And so when we hit that stage three at about 20, 25, 30 minutes into the sleep period, that's when we'll wake up feeling groggy, you know, disoriented, those kind of things. So people could take advantage by just having a shorter nap. Usually for me, I'll set my alarm for 30 minutes and that gives me a little bit of time to fall asleep. And, and ideally I want to be waking up before that alarm, um, because then I'm going to wake up most refreshed if I'm able to do that. Now let's say, for example, as a runner, I know you have early morning workouts. Um, you know, sometimes you may have a long run on the weekend. And so you're having to get up really early. Um, in those instances, you know, if I want to make up for some lost nighttime sleep, I would schedule more of a 90 minute full cycle nap. So we go from non-REM to REM sleep. So non-REM is stage one, two, three, the light and the deep sleep, um, into REM sleep in about 90 to 110 minutes. And so if I've lost out on a lot of my nighttime sleep, I'm going to then try and schedule that afternoon a more of a full cycle nap where I'm getting all the stages of sleep. And again, you know, you may want to set your alarm for two hours or hour 45, and then try and wake up naturally before the alarm. Um, you know, so that you're not waking up feeling groggy, but that would be my suggestion. Definitely schedule them in as a part of your training. Um, also, if you have a poor night's sleep, so for me, I'm not really training. I do a lot of skiing and hiking and those kind of activities. I'm not really training for an event right now. Um, but if I have a poor night's sleep, I'll kind of automatically schedule in a nap the following that day to really put a boost in my alertness, a boost in my mood from that poor night's sleep, because it's inevitable. We're all going to have poor night's sleep, a poor night's sleep here and there. And um, why not make up for it with a little bit of a nap? That's a really good idea. And, uh, you know, a lot of us have kids and pets and other things that basically interrupt our sleep. So, What do we do when that happens? Is there any kind of trick that you have to get ourselves back to sleep when somebody marches into your room at three o'clock in the morning? (laughs) (laughs) I have three kids and my youngest, my youngest is four. So I'm, I'm getting, I'm almost getting to that sweet spot. He's not really, you know, coming in and, and I have different tools for that too. Bribery with the toy. 
um, if he can stay in his own bed type of thing day in and day out. But um, yeah, no, it is, it is challenging and it happens. Our, our dog will, you know, wake us up. Kids will wake us up or even just spontaneously you'll wake up. Um, and so I, I usually have a little routine for those kind of middle of the night awakenings. And so what I'll do, so number one, you don't want to be in bed typically longer than 20 minutes, because if you start associating your bed with being awake, it's going to just be that much more challenging to fall asleep, you know, when you do wake up. So we want to have like a short little routine, no more than about 20 minutes. And then if you aren't able to fall asleep in that time, then you just get up out of bed and only return back to bed when you're sleepy. So for me, I usually do a breathing technique and a cognitive cognitive technique, which usually lasts around 20 minutes for me. And I'm not, I'm not staring at the clock, but it's just kind of an estimate. And so what I'll do is I'll do the four, seven, eight breathing technique. So you breathe in for four seconds, hold your breath for seven seconds, and then breathe out for eight seconds. And I'll repeat that four times. Um, any, any kind of breathing technique that you like where it's breathing out longer than you're breathing in is going to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. So another one might be snake breathing where you breathe in through your nose and then hiss out through your mouth and you're just breathing out longer than you're breathing in. So I think that people need to keep that in mind when you're trying to figure out what type of breathing technique you want to do. Just make sure you're breathing out longer than you're breathing in. And then I also like a cognitive technique. It's called the cognitive shuffle. So you think of a word such as bedtime. You imagine all the objects starting with that first letter. So B, ball, bus, banana, bag, blueberry, um, anything starting with B. And when you can't think of any more, um, imagine any more objects, you move on to the next letter. So E, so we're doing bedtime. So E, eagle, egg, ear, and you can't imagine any more, you move on to the next letter. And usually that works for me. I'll be sound asleep even before I get to the end of the word. Um, and so that's some techniques people can, can utilize. And if I have made it to the end of the word, again, I'll get up out of bed, do a relaxing activity in low light, read a book, for example, and then I'll only return back to bed when I'm sleepy. And if I, I mean, there's been times where I've woken up at 4 a.m., or 3.30 a.m. and I haven't been able to get back to sleep and I'll just schedule in that nap for that day and, um, you know, and, and, and not worry about it too much um, because we do, we do have some of those poor nights sleep here and there. Yeah, super interesting. I would think that thinking about objects would wake you up more, but it's interesting that that's something that you do. It actually, it actually kind of simulates what your brain does when you fall asleep. So it, it does two things. It kind of simulates what you do when you fall asleep, which you start to kind of imagine these objects. Um, and then number two, the second part is that it takes your mind off of being awake. So it's kind of like occupying your mind in not too much of a strenuous activity, but it's just kind of occupying your mind so that you're not angry that you're laying there awake. Um, and it's, it's good in that respect as well. 
Huh. Another question that we have is there is obviously sleeping aids and I don't know the names of all of them because I don't take any of them, but I do know of Tylenol PM and melatonin. And I wanted to ask you how bad they are if you take them or, you know, how, how much the risk is outweighed by the benefit or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of the, even the over the counter can just kind of simulate sleep. So Tylenol PM, NyQuil, there's, you know, gravel here in Canada, um, a bunch of different types that you can get over the counter. Um, but it, it, it impacts the quality ultimately. So you want to avoid that if you can, I mean, here and there, not a big deal. Um, when we get into prescription medications, hypnotics, again, the same thing, we do see more simulated sleep, not what you would normally be getting if you weren't on the medication. So more like uh, sedating you, but not necessarily getting into those deeper states of sleep or could be compromising REM sleep, for example. Um, now, melatonin is actually generally pretty safe. Uh, it's been studied for a long time now. So melatonin is generally pretty safe when it comes to that. What melatonin can be pretty useful at is actually shifting your circadian rhythms to an earlier time. So for example, if you're a night owl where you like to go to bed really late, and get up really late, taking melatonin can help shift your rhythm to an earlier time. So melatonin has been useful in those instances, as well as if you're traveling. So for example, I'm going to be heading to Europe here in the next couple of days. So I'm going to be taking melatonin about two hours before my normal bedtime, because I want to start going to bed early and waking up early to adjust to the Eastern, you know, European time zones. Um, but with melatonin, you do have to be careful about what you're actually getting. So there's a lot on the market right now. And there was a study that found about uh, 80% of what's on the market is actually, um, either too much melatonin or not enough melatonin or there's contaminants. So there's only about 20% of of melatonin supplements out there that are really, really good and truthful about what they're putting on the label. So that's something to keep in mind. If someone is really struggling with falling asleep, there are, uh, cog there is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia programs. So if you look for CBTI, um, you can find even online programs. You can find sleep health practitioners who are able to uh, perform CBTI. There's a number of apps that you can use. Um, so if that's the case, if you're taking the medication to help you fall asleep quicker, there may be other options out there that is actually more effective than just taking the pill every day. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't sound that safe in the first place anyway. So some other things to set you up for good sleep. I wanted to see if you could briefly touch on food and also why is screen time before bed so bad? Mm -hmm. Yeah, food, food is tricky. I mean, there's some people who report that fasting. So for example, after, if they don't eat after dinner, 
um, that they actually sleep better versus there's some people who actually wake up and some athletes, and I would expect a lot of endurance athletes and runners training for, for large events, marathons, those kind of things where maybe a snack would actually be beneficial right before bed and nothing too heavy, nothing too spicy. You know, we want to avoid, um, fatty and spicy foods right before bedtime. Cause that could wake us up during the middle of the night, but more of a lighter snack, which can help maintain the blood sugar throughout the night, um, may be useful in that instance. Um, but yeah, again, just kind of playing around with that, uh, depending on the athlete. And then when it comes to screen time, um, that actually, uh, sleep scientists kind of argue like some really truly believe screens and looking at electronic devices before bedtime can impact sleep quality. Whereas others are like, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. Um, there's been a lot of studies to show that, well, maybe it isn't that big of a deal. Um, but I would say best piece of advice would be to put away those electronics uh, hour, 45 minutes before bedtime, because it's not just about the blue light coming from the screens or the bright light coming from the screens. It's about relaxing your mind and your body to prepare for sleep. So if I'm working right before bedtime, that's not going to be good for my sleep quality. Cause I'm going to have all these things on my mind. Um, or if I'm watching the news, you know, um, so kind of, substituting relaxing activities for screen time is going to help you improve your sleep quality, improve your recovery down the road. So all in all, it, it's pretty um, important to put those devices away. Okay. Okay. And I have uh, two more questions. So one of them is, is it really true that there are some people that need a lot less sleep? Because I'm saying that I used to think, oh, I'm a person that can be just really great at five hours a night and then fast forward after kids. Now I really enjoy sleeping for longer periods. It's like seven or eight hours feels great. So I'm wondering if that was just me thinking that and buying into it myself or do people like that really exist that can just be completely fine and recover just as well as others with five hours only? I love that observation because that's what we see in the research when people are sleep deprived, they actually overestimate their ability to perform. So when you are sleep deprived, areas of decision-making areas like the prefrontal cortex uh, get deactivated during sleep deprivation. And so we'll see these people, these participants participating in these studies where they're sleep deprived and they report their performance to be fine. But when we actually look at their performance, we see uh, longer reaction times, we see lapses of attention, and they don't even realize that they're not doing well. So I think people need to keep that in mind just because you think you're doing well with little sleep doesn't mean that you actually are. Now, there are some individuals out there who don't need a lot of sleep. You know, they can get by on five hours or less or six hours or less. And there was one study that found this kind of father-son duo 
who were doing great. You know, one was getting, I think one was getting just over five hours and the son was getting five and a half hours. They had no memory impairments. Their mood was good. They didn't have any health issues. And when they looked at how often that occurred in the general population, it was one in 4 million people. So (laughs) the chances of it that it's you is probably pretty slim. So ideally we do want to aim to get at least seven hours of sleep per night. That's kind of the minimum requirement. And that doesn't mean you're in bed at midnight and you wake up at seven, you know, there's time in there that where it takes us time to fall asleep. We wake up during the middle of the night, you know, so we want our time in bed to be longer than seven hours in order to achieve that minimum amount. And in some of the research that I've done, um, we found typically seven and a half hours is kind of that, that sweet spot, although it can vary between person to person. So someone might need more like eight hours. Um, you know, someone might need more less sleep. So it just really depends on the person. Okay. That's great. It's great to hear that. And and I, I feel like I have to agree with that at this point in my life. It just feels so much better to get a little bit more rest, even if you can function with less So talking about the lack of sleep the night before a marathon, so to speak, um, we're anxious and we can't sleep. How bad will one night of bad sleep, if you've had six nights prior to that of good sleep, really affect your performance on that day? Not, not too much. So the goal here is to bank sleep leading into that competition. So this is a really great piece of advice for runners who have a big event coming up, we want to get good sleep leading into that event, which usually coincides with our training load being reduced as we approach that event anyways. So we have a little bit more time to get more sleep. And so what we find is that um, the more sleep you can get leading into that competition, the more that one night, one poor night of sleep is not going to really impact you that much. So that's a really good piece of advice is to bank sleep leading into these important competitions and just go in with kind of confidence. Oh, you know what? I've gotten good sleep leading into this point, one bad night and we're anxious You also have to get up really early, typically for a competition as well. Um, And so just go in there with confidence that that poor night, the night before, isn't going to really impact me too much if I can get more sleep leading into it. Perfect. So it's cumulative, just kind of like food. They say don't carb load the night before. So we're going to do the same with uh, sleep and try to bank as much as we can. So that's, uh, that's wonderful. So thank you, Amy, so much for all your knowledge. And if our listeners want to learn more about what you do, how can they do that or get in touch with you? Sure. So I'm on, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter at sleep for sport. I have a website, sleepintowin.com. Um, and then you can also check out my work at cerebra.health, uh, which is where we're kind of developing the wearable and the technology as it relates to sleep quality. That sounds wonderful. I can't wait to uh, hear what device you guys come up with. Yeah, maybe I can come back on when uh, when the time comes. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been great. All right. Thank you, Amy, so much for your expertise. We're going to try to implement all these uh, tips 
with Ryan tonight. See how it works. And um, Ryan, you got anything else? No one can be held at fault for sleeping during this podcast. That's right. Hopefully, we're not boring everyone to death. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's a good. Maybe it, you know that you could use the podcast to sleep. <laughs> yeah, you could use a podcast to go to sleep. Just not our podcast. You could use a podcast. So anyway, before we really put you to sleep, uh, hope everybody had a great weekend. And until next time, happy napping. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us. And as always, have a great week of running.